Good morning, goddesses and gods alike. This is Shannon, and I'm your host, and you're listening to the Goddess Morning Show podcast, where you can tune in every weekday morning for an approximately 20-minute long episode to start your day with updates on things that matter to a community of awake and conscious individuals who seek the divine feminine in all we do. We sift through all the copious amounts of information on the internet to bring you news and information on the things that matter to you. Tune in to hear about environmental news and book releases, interviews with thought leaders influencing the awakening of humanity, the moon phases, planetary positions, crystal healing, herbal and holistic health, guidance on green living, and that's just naming a few. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening to us on right now. Be blessed. Namaste. Good morning, gods and goddesses alike. This is Shannon. I'm your host, and this is the Goddess Morning Show. And I am talking to Reverend Patricia Robin Woodruff, and she is an ordained minister, a Wiccan priestess of Stone Circle Wicca, and a spirit-initiated Lemko Basorka. She has her master's degree from the University of Metaphysical Sciences and obtained her PhD this past year, becoming a philosopher of metaphysical theology. Robin has traveled to sacred sites around the world, from the Amazon jungle to the 6,000-year-old goddess temples of Malta, to sacred springs in Poland and holy caves in Slovenia. So today we are talking to Robin because she has just recently come out with a new book and she has graciously agreed to join us and talk about her new book. Hello, Robin. Hello. How are you today? (laughs) Doing good. Doing good. Thank you so much for joining us. How's uh, the COVID quarantine treating you so far? Uh, well, I kind of, I kind of don't notice because I'm so, so busy working on research and writing. Uh, but it's like you look out the window and it's like it's kind of crazy out there. I think I'm just gonna stay here. Right, right. I agree. So, just jumping, diving right into this interview about your new book, which I was so incredibly blown away with when I opened it and took a look because you sent me a copy to look at. And I just wanted to congratulate you on such a nice job. You really have put a lot of thought and effort into it, and it shows. Well, thank you. Yes, I was so pleased to look at it. And for a lot of the reasons that you're going to explain to us in this interview, which I'm just super excited to share with the listeners. So let's. I want to go ahead and jump right into the interview and get to the meat of the story behind the book, which really uh, inspired you to write it. So uh, what got you started in this area of focus and how did you get interested in Slavic deities to begin with? Okay, so the, the book is Woodruff's Guide to Slavic Deities. Thank you. Thank you. I forgot to say that. (laughs) Thank you. Go ahead. And I had been uh, taking classes with the Stone Circle tradition of Wicca USA. And we have a series of classes that takes over a year to complete. And as part of our training, we had a discussion on cultural appropriation. 
So we were encouraged to look into our ancestral lines and the pre-Christian traditions there. And I was thinking, uh, I'm an oldest daughter of an oldest daughter, and, and my maternal line goes back to the Carpathian Mountains. So it's a little-known ethnicity no, uh, called Lemco, which is under a sort of larger grouping of Carpathio-Russian culture. That's Ru Russian as opposed to Russian. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, Russian would be like Red Russians, and Russian they call White Russians. I gotcha, okay. Um, so it's, it's basically the Slavic beliefs, but I was, I was finding it really hard to find anything in English as to what the Slavs believed. Um, it, it's, it's so rich in tradition and folklore uh, so a lot of my information winds up coming from academic research papers that co collect, you know, these kind of traditions, and a lot comes from linguistics, uh, because not a lot was written down. I gotcha. Uh, because they didn't become, they didn't have writing of, like, writing of history until the Christians came in, which is around a thousand um, common era. So anything that was recorded, first off, you're getting recorded by the Christians who are writing it down, and they kind of misinterpreted things into their black and white, good and evil kind of understanding. Right, right. The other thing is, is Christians think in a line, think linearly. Mm -hmm. And pagans think in a circle. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Because the, the Christian viewpoint is like you don't exist until you do. You like pop into existence. Then you exist on this earth for an infinitesimal amount of time. And based on that, you go to heaven forever or hell forever. Right. But it's, it's a straight line. Whereas pagans were in the natural world, immersed in the natural world. And saw things went round in circles. Yeah, the sun comes up and goes down and comes up. If spring turns to summer into the harvest time, then into winter, and it starts all over again. A, a tree falls down and it composts and it grows a new tree or grows new plants. Yes, I, I definitely agree that there is a different um perception of time, you know, in our Christian brethren's um, perception. And, you know, for us to try to understand our heritage as pagans, when it is only recorded by the Christians, it really is a snapshot look at something that, you know, is skewed and biased to their thinking and their, their framework. Right. Yes, right. definitely. I agree. And so what made you decide to write this book? Well, I was researching online uh, and I find these little pieces online and I print them up and I put them in a little three ring binder and I'm like, uh, there's got to be a letter, way to do this. And I'm like, well, maybe I could put it into a book or something. And then I'm like, well, you know, if I want this information, obviously other people would want it. Um, 
it, and I have the advantage that I can read really fast. Mm-hmm. So about five or six years ago, I just started from scratch. And since then, I've read over like uh, 3,000 research papers, books, you know, other, other sources. And I think starting from scratch really worked in my favor. I didn't have to unlearn things like a person being raised in that culture. They, they grew up thinking that Perun is the head God of the Slavic pantheon. And, but as I researched, I realized, no, he, he wasn't really the head God or, or creator because before that there's all these goddess figurines going back 30,000 years at least. Wow. So it's, it's the goddess that created everything. But I'm also finding out in the lore that she has this partner. Mm-hmm. The, the two of them are paired. And it seems like it starts with this divine androgyne that incorporates both male and female attributes. Mm-hmm. Right? So then comes the first duality. The divine splits into male and female. Gotcha. So... When looking at the Slavic lore, you find these couples, they always pop up and they say, oh, they're twin siblings or they're divine lovers. You know, sometimes they mention that they're both. You'll see little bits and pieces. And actually, the constellation of Gemini is the divine couple. It's, It's not twin boys. It was originally a male and a female that represented this divine couple. Nice. Because we have the misogynistic Greeks that changed everything to be really male-focused. Right. Um, And because they wrote stuff down, that's what got spread around. That's all those early Christians who were writing stuff down, they were steeped in Greek and Roman. And so when they're writing down these these, uh, names of deities, they're thinking pantheon. Right, right. right. Um, So we see like thousands of years ago, those who were dual sex or two-spirited, we call them, the Native Americans use that term, uh, they tended to be the spiritual servants of the divine because they incorporated both aspects of that duality. Gotcha. And and then you have this divine couple, it splits again into light and dark. Not good and evil, right. because that concept didn't exist. Right. Because, like, if you think about it, is fire good or evil? Right. You know? It's not. It's all in how it's used. Exactly. The same herb can be used to heal or harm. It's all in the dosage. Right. So... We had in the herding culture, the year was divided into two. It was the white summertime god and goddess and the black wintertime god and goddess. Because they would take their animals out to the mountain pastures in the summer. And they would leave around uh, May Day. That that was their, their marker. And they would come back right around... Sowin, or in the Slavic, it's Zaidi, which is uh, 
celebration of the ancestors. Mm-hmm. Samhain, Samhain is the Celts, right? Right. So it was that balance between light and dark, active and rest, construction and destruction, and it just cycles back around, you know? So what I'm understanding is that in the fact that you weren't raised with this traditional folklore from your ancestors, it actually ended up being somewhat of an advantage to you because you didn't have these preconceived notions that were misleading. Right, right. I got you. Okay. I'm, I'm looking at it all with brand new eyes. And I was able to see things that, that being raised in the culture, you overlook it. Like something simple. Think about like dandelions. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we call them dandelions. Right. It actually, the name actually comes from French. It means denti lion, tooth of a lion. Right. And but you mostly, you usually don't think about that. It just, it's not. You you take it for granted. You really, you you take it for granted. If it's in your own language and you're used to it, um, you like you don't have the fresh eyes like you're talking about. Right. Yeah. And so how does this book differ from other books in the same category? Well, <laughs> there's barely a category for Slavic beliefs. <laughs> you, you'll go into like a bookstore and you'll find hundreds of books on Celtic beliefs or the Norse or, you know, most especially Greek and Roman. But you'll barely find anything on Slavic beliefs. And, and this is why I've made such fabulous discoveries because it's been so overlooked and it's actually right close to the center where all those beliefs began because it seems like it all starts around the vicinity of the black sea. It's like you've unearthed a treasure trove of information and made it available to the English readers. You know, yes. I really feel like you've stumbled onto something almost accidentally, it would seem, that is, like you said, missing from the libraries. Yeah, because I'll see I'll see these comparisons where they're like, gee, you know, the the uh, this Greek goddess, you know, she's she's kind of like the Celtic goddess, but it's almost like that they have some sort of common origin. Gee, where could it be? Right. And they look right past what's smack dab in the center of Europe. Right. And so what did you learn or discover that was surprising from writing this book? It sounds like, you know, that's, that's one of them, but I'll let you talk about that a little bit further. Oh, so many cool discoveries. Honestly, this, I'm writing a series and I'm kind of writing them all at the same time because what I find out about, lightning bugs might pertain to the goddess, you know, so I can't just do deities and I can't just do animals, but, but I'm actually starting to almost get, you know, all of them finished. So, um, one of the big discoveries is that the names of the deities are not actually names. They're all titles. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you might have heard this, that the name of God was lost. Yes. Did you ever hear? The the Jews just use the initials, J-H-W-H, 
which, you know, they're like, well, it could be Yahweh, or maybe it's pronounced Jehovah, Jehovah. Right. But when we say God, that's just a title. Right. He is a God. Right. Well, the same thing goes for all of the Slavic deities. When, when you look at what you think are their names, we have Divana, mm-hmm. and that means maiden. We have Perun, which means to strike, like lightning. So basically his name means Lord of Lightning. Okay. We have Jiva, means life or life life energy, mm-hmm. that white glow, that shining radiant. This is why we have halos in the Catholic Church, because of these beliefs. Right. Right. And her partner is, is Zibug, and that means life god. Bug at the end means a god. Gotcha. Right? But Boog got turned into Boogie Monster. They, they made, you know, our deities be monsters. Right, <laughs> right. Um, but, th- but then I'm thinking about it, and this goes for all the deities. Mm-hmm. Because in Norse lore, we have Freya, which means lady, and Freyr, which means lord. Right, right. right? And the Celtic god Bell means shining lord. And Bellissima means shining lady. Gotcha. So if you look, if you look, you'll you'll find that each of them will have their partner. Look around for their partner. Right. So And Isis was supposed to be the all-powerful goddess because she did know the name of God. She was the lady who, you know, knew the name of God and that made her basically the most powerful witch because she was able to um, control him because she knew his name. Yep, exactly. exactly. So the other thing is, is I'm studying these deities. Our common conception of how religion developed, I think, is completely wrong. Because first, the common idea is that first there was these little land spirits. And then those little land spirits, people promoted to gods and we got pantheons. And then at the pinnacle of evolution, there is one true God, right? But if, if you've ever looked at a linguistic tree, right? First they start out with Proto-Indo-European. And then that split into Indo-European and Uralic from which we get Finnish and Hungarian. And then on the Indo-European side, that's split into Indo-Iranian and European, right? Mm-hmm. And then each kept splitting again and again. So then we have the Germanic branch of languages and the Romance branch and the Indo-Iranian, of course, split into Iranian and Indian. So the same goes for religion. First, we start out with this divine couple. Or, or the divine androgyne, but mainly I focus on the divine couple. And then the divine couple divide into light and dark during, during the hunter-gatherer times, right? Mm-hmm. And that's over 10,000 years ago and maybe as much as 30,000 years ago. But when we got agriculture, that's when things changed, So they needed to have a little more warning for spring planting. So uh, 
it's split into three seasons. You'll see Slavic and Germanic. They, they also, um, they divided the year into three seasons. We have spring, summer, summer into, into the harvest time and winter. Okay. And that is what gives us our concept of the triple God and triple goddess. Interesting. Because you have the deity changing from the spring, then a different title is used in the summer and a different title is used through the winter. Okay. Uh, and the ones in the winter, it tends to be um, more or mar. They, they tend to start with that because that means like death, darkness. Um, it also is connected to water because the, the underworld is a watery underworld. Gotcha. Because if you think about it, you got the sun, right? The sun's going across the sky and down somewhere under the earth, right? Right, right. But they knew under the earth, the springs came up, the, the freshwater springs. So the underworld had to have been watery. Right, right. So they figured it went through the water there and then back up. You have so many um, references throughout most cultures with the water and the underworld. You know, you have the river Styx, you have the, the barge that takes you to Avalon out in the, you know, the, the water. And you just, you have so many references throughout so many cultures of the underworld having to do with water. That's a very constant theme. Yep. And that's with Norse Odin. He, uh, traded his eye in at the at the spring at the base of the tree of life. Right, right. Um, or Yggdrasil. I think that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> I think that's that's how I pronounce it too. So if it's not, then we're both wrong. <laughs> I know, that's the thing. All, all this stuff is coming from book learning. So Yes, you know. yes. That's and, how I pronounce it too. So I think you're right, but I can't say for sure. But we'll go with that for here. Okay, so thank you listeners. We took a short break to take care of the four-legged furry friends and family members that were causing us a little bit of grief during a recording. And what can you do when you're at home with COVID besides uh, make sure that the four-legged friends are taken care of? So I'm going to let you pick up where you left off, Robin, and get right back into what you were saying. Uh, If you could just Pick up on that thought and run with it. Sure. Well, he's talking about the spring goddess. And, and Vesna, Vesna is the Slavic name of the spring goddess, which means spring. Right. And Maya is Slovenian. And that's where you get the name for the month of May. And in Germany, she was called Ostara, which is where we get the name for Easter. Mm-hmm. And... Ostara comes from the Proto-Indo-European word meaning to shine. But as I mentioned, you were talking about Isis. Isis name actually comes from that same root, Aus, Austria, that um, Aus means to, to shine. Um, and, and the shining white goddess also became Bellissima. Okay. And that means beautiful. It just means beautiful to the Celts. Right, right. But she was also the spring bride, and as a bride, she was called Bridget. <laughs> yep, yep. So, so these are all just titles. And right? I've really always wondered, you know, in my own practice personally, 
how many of these gods and goddesses are the same in cross-cultural, you know, is my, the Morrigan, the same as Isis? You know, for me, yeah. No, no. Remember I said the dark goddess right, is right. the one. That the name starts with more. Well, that's true. Yeah, you did say that. So she's the dark time of the year. Right, right. Whereas but Isis I mean, I just wondered how many cultures were sharing the same goddess under different titles, under different names. Right, you know? right. And, and I think of it as like a diamond. You know, the goddess is like this diamond and each facet yes. looks slightly different. In, in the light of the culture that it's seen in. Exactly. You know? So, coming back to one of the discoveries here, that each goddess had their spiritual followers, and they were named after the goddess they served. So Vesna had her Vesna, with a small V, right? Oh, okay. And these are, these are fairy-like creatures, oh. the Vesna. Okay. And the dark goddess Mora had her Mora, which, if, if you look that up, that, that devolved into sort of this scary, vampiric creature. But they're more like a night fairy or maybe like a dark elf, gotcha. that concept. And we have Frau Hola in Germany, and her spirits were called the Holdra. And that evolved in tales to be more of a troll-like creature, right? But okay. it's all, you know, it's all their servants. We have Devana had her Divya, Divya, and those were her wild women of the woods. And she was known in India as the goddess Devi, which just means shining one. Yeah. And her spirits are known as Devas. Yes. Get our, yes. you know, word for diva. Right. You know, fancy singing diva. Right. So, so all of these land spirits came from the deities rather you know after all these names split and split and split and split you see yeah the land spirits split too yeah rather than this common conception that they evolved into gods or goddesses and you know it's it's so interesting when you really look at one of the main concepts that you've pointed out that we still really don't have a name for the god or the goddess. You know, all these titles just persist in all the different languages. Right, and sometimes a title will actually build up enough power that it kind of gets retired because it comes it comes too close to the real name. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I can imagine a lot of the, and you know, that's what they say uh, in so many different traditions. You know, I've been told that, you know, oh, we hold the power over the spirits because we know their names, you know, and we'll teach you the names of this, that, and the other. And, you know, na- you know, there's so much power in a name, so much. Right. And so, so much energy does get tied up into people using these titles as names i can imagine that you know it it becomes very potent with energy right because my my clue to this actually came from i was reading up on the bear 
And the bear was considered so sacred, the bear's name, it, they didn't use the real name of the bear. And, and the name actually got lost. Hmm. So in Proto-Indo-European, they can kind of construct it. They think it was something like Arcto, Arctus, um, Ar Arthur. The name Arthur comes from that same root, the, the, name, um, the term for the Arctic comes from the bear. Uh, there is a Celtic bear goddess named Arteo. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the bear goddess probably was something, but we still know that's still a title. Right, right. Bear goddess would still be a title. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, that's a, that's a fascinating concept, like a rabbit hole to go down all in and of itself. You, you know, that you've <laughs> discovered just by researching your people, your ancestors, yeah. you know, and yeah, you ran into this. Tell, I can tell which are um, sacred animals because those are ones that they have slang terms for. Right. They're, they're, they just, ha they don't call them actually by their real name. They make up because our word for bear actually means brown one. It comes from burr, the brown one. Oh, okay. Whereas in Slavic countries, they call them medved. It's a little rhyme. It's kind of cute, you know, medved, but it means honey eater. Oh, how funny. Um, so these are poetic. They're called kennings. Yeah. It's sort of a poetic way to uh, refer to to the animal without actually using its name. So yeah. you can tell that mice actually were sacred animals because they don't say the real name of them. Snakes. Same thing. Like they, it's all slang terms. It's always all like, a descriptor versus an right. actual name. Right. So mm -hmm. interesting. That just fascinates me as a side note. Yeah. <laughs> that well, just really okay. fascinates me. So where That'll can you? The second book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please uh, send me that one to peruse as well, because that, that is a big interest to me. You know, the, the sacred names of things. I think that we've as a culture, especially in the West, for, lost the sacredness of names so much so that we take it for granted when we do know the name of something. And, um, you know, our ancestors did not take that for granted. And you see that in prehistoric cultures. Right. And fairy tales. Oh, there's things hidden in fairy tales. It's great. But you notice in fairy tales, you get things like Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. You know, like... It, it, you know, you can't guess his name. And when you do guess his name, exactly. he's got to go away. Exactly. Exactly. So, Robin, where can listeners find this book? Well, I have an author page on Amazon.com. Okay. So, so you can just search, you know, Amazon for any of my books. And if you hit the follow button on my author page, it'll let you know when any new books are published. Yeah, I will definitely be doing that because I'll be looking for that <laughs> name book. <laughs> and so where can listeners locate you if they want to contact you about more information? Uh, online, we have a Slavic magic group and it's called The Roots of Slavic Magic. Since that will be my series, the one I said of it's about 10 books, actually. <laughs> oh, gosh. That is so great. So needed, though. So great. 
Yeah. It is. It is. Oh my goodness. And I'm trying, I'm working so hard. I mean, I work like 10 hours every day at, at just researching and writing and, and stuff because people are just, they keep asking me the same questions and I'm like, I know the answer, but <laughs> I'd like to just be able to give you the book. Right. And you know, uh, you know, basically when you, you can tell however many people exist in the world that want to know each individually, or you can publish it in a book and allow everyone to know it. That's it. So it's the Roots of Slavic Magic page on Facebook, and there's two introductory questions that you have to answer in order to join. And that lets me know what people are interested in, because I ask, why do you want to join? And then the second one is that you understand the inherent worth of all human beings. Oh yeah, definitely important. Yeah, because if you don't, then you won't be getting, you won't understand my teachings. Um, Right, right. And this is a very, very important point. It's, it's not just, um, it's not just, oh, I'm going to be politically correct because if you're just doing that, you won't get it. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that's that's a that's a wonderful little aside for you to put there to basically, you know, make sure that you you know, the right people are getting to the right information for them. Yeah, because unfortunately both in the Slavic a little bit and in the Norse, you wind up with these white supremacists that kind of oh. glom onto the the religion and they're not doing it spiritually. They're, they're doing it like, um, you know, you have to be right. white and you have to be of this lineage and, and whatnot. It's like, ugh, you're missing the whole point. I had no um, idea that that was a problem for the Slavic cultural traditions. A little bit. A little bit. There's some. Interesting. And, and in the, well, here's the thing. You have in the the Slavic countries, they've been under the thumb of the USSR. Right. Right. So each of them are trying to break away. They're like, no, 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 we're Polish. We're not part of the USSR. We're Polish and we want Polish gods Ah. or Ukrainian and we want Ukrainian gods. And so they're trying to um, revive the old religion. But at the same time, they still have a lot of the Christian thinking. So they're first off patriarchal. They yes. Tend to have, yes. It, it, there's, it's called Ranovri, and Rod is like their main head god. Okay. And it's like, no. <laughs> you, well, it, they only go back so far. How's that? I got you. They picked a spot Whereas, where they wanted to stop time and go back to. Right, and they're kind of more in the Middle Ages, gotcha. <laughs> where things are patriarchal in a certain way. I got gotcha. you. And I'm going back to the roots. I'm going back to the commonalities between right. all of these, and they're really basically all the same. Maybe it's a different title, but they're they're essentially all the same. I got gotcha. you. Well, um, Patricia Robin Woodruff is the author's name, just in case I didn't make that incredibly clear. And her books include The Woodruff's Guide to Slavic Deities, which we have been talking about just now. It has over 80 black and white illustrations. And this well-researched book is backed by over 3,000 sources that Robin has read. 
And she also has a book called The Slavic Moon Magic Meditations, a small book that tells you the Slavic names of the moon rather than using the Native American wolf moon or strawberry moon, and some thoughts about them that will let you explore your own life throughout the year. And The Prince with the Golden Hand, book one of Baba's Secrets, a young reader's book that is actually packed with lots of information. And it's a grandmother, Baba, tells her grandchildren a Slavic fairy tale, but then she explains all the pagan lore hidden in the story. And each book of the series will include information on a magical herb and a recipe as well. Now, Robin, are those books that are actually already published or those are ones that you're working on? Those are those are all published. Okay, those are great. all available on Amazon. Gotcha. Okay. And I am very close to the Roots of Slavic Magic series, which basically the, the Guide to Slavic Deities is kind of a shorter version. It's it's more of a um Oh, trying to think the name of the, you know, instead of studying the whole entire thing, it's it's more of an introduction. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's, the other one is going to be much more of a scholarly tome. I mean, a, a lot more of uh, resources and stuff like that. So this one is just a it's a collection of information, almost like an encyclopedia, and it is just cram packed to the gills with information. <laughs> Well, Robin, thank you so much for joining us. And I love interviewing you and you coming on the show. And I want to thank you for taking the time to do that. And I am looking forward to your next book. Well, thank you very much for having me. You are very welcome.